I think all of us have heard the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, you've heard it. Or what about this one? Seeing is believing. I'll believe it when I see it. Seeing is believing. That's our society. We want proof, and then we want proof on top of our proof, and proof around our proof, and we want layers of proof. We want proof everywhere before we will believe something. We, we want to affirm, and, and we want to make sure, and people will come and tell us information but we want to make sure that what they're saying is true because I'll believe it when I see it. You know, there's a part of me that is that way. I think a lot of us are that way. Some of us are a little bit more believing. I, I won't say gullible, but you know, a little bit more believing than others, right? But there's times in which I, I am, I am I'm a, an ultra-pessimist, right? And, uh, and so my wife and my kids, uh, we were talking about something I took a trip last week to San Antonio, and my kids are doing some little weird survey thing with me, asking me questions, and after, the question, after my answers, they told me who I was. It was just a weird thing. And uh, the, the question was, are you a pessimist? And Eliana was like, yes, you are a pessimist. I'm going I'm to answer for you. I'm like, I'm not, a pes- I'm not that much of a pessimist, but, but I can have that, that mindset. I'll believe it when I see it, you know? And I, I think... That can be our tendency. We'll believe it when we see it. And I think one example of that uh, in the Bible is the disciple Thomas. Do you remember after this, the disciples came to tell the other disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead? What did Thomas say? Look at John chapter 20. We'll get to this uh, next year. John chapter 20. It says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. And what's interesting is that the gospel of John is a gospel of believing. The purpose of the gospel of John, John tells us his purpose is that we would believe. Look at the purpose of John. Again, we'll get to this next year. John 20, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. What we have that is written is written that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How do we have life? By believing. How do we have physical life? Well, we know how we have physical life, but how do we have spiritual life? By believing. By believing true life, spiritual life, eternal life comes by believing in Jesus Christ. And Thomas said, I will believe if I can see it. I will believe in the resurrection if I can see it. And and we're going to see this account where a man that was born blind, that many people knew, all these people knew within this this, this narrative of this story, they, they, they knew him because he would have been regularly a beggar. You have a group of people that, that, that had evidence that he was blind, but also had evidence that he was born blind and had evidence that he could see. But this group of people, the Pharisees, refused to believe. Though they could see, they refused to believe, even, even that the miracle happened, but then at another level, even that Jesus was the one who did it. They were, would refuse to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they could see, but they would not believe. And I think you have people today that are in the same boat. There is evidence everywhere all around us that God is real and that Jesus is his son and that he was raised from the dead and that we 
can be saved and born again, but people will not believe. And so today what I want us to look at is the nature of unbelief. I mean, it really is shocking as we go through this story. And it's really a case study of the Pharisees, but it's a case study of their unbelief, the nature of unbelief. What does belief look like? And I believe that unbelief, and I've titled the message, as I said earlier, tragedy, the tragedy of unbelief. I believe unbelief in Jesus is truly the most tragic thing that can happen to a person's life. Unbelief in Jesus is the most tragic thing that can happen to a person this side of heaven. It's to not believe in Jesus, to not believe in his work on the cross and in his resurrection, to not believe in what he has done for us is the most tragic thing. So the main point we're going to see in this text as we study the nature of unbelief is this. I think this is the point of the section, the point of this message, is that being unwilling to believe is the most tragic place a person can find themselves. That's the main point. Being unwilling to believe, which is what we will see with these Pharisees, is the most tragic place a person can find themselves. And, and now, let's look at the text. Now the nature of unbelief. What does unbelief look like? What does unbelief look like? Well, look no further at the Pharisees in John 9. Here's what unbelief looks like. Point number one. Unbelief can often be camouflaged by religious activity. Unbelief can often be camouflaged by religious activity. Let's look at the text. Let's pick it up. John 9, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, speaking of Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So what do we have here? We have the neighbors, the neighbors, the neighbors, the people who, 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 who saw the miracle, who were around him. Uh, they, they, they brought Jesus, they brought the man that was healed to the Pharisees. And why would they have brought them, him to the Pharisees? Well, it, it would have been common for, for if there was a miracle like that that would take place. Well, it needed to be proven. You needed to, to have it investigated. And so they did the right thing that they were taught to do, which was to bring this man to the Pharisees. And so they did. They, they brought this man that was healed to the Pharisees so that the priests, the Pharisees could examine and, and, and look at this. But what's interesting is is what the highlight of this section is that what is brought out is that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And so the first thing that the Pharisees bring up is, is not that the man was healed, because wouldn't you think that's what you would talk about the most, be the only thing that you would talk about, is that this man who was born blind, who was a beggar at the temple, is healed now. But what is it that the Pharisees said? Well, it was on the Sabbath that he healed the man, Right? So it's interesting, they, they will in some way acknowledge on the front end that the man is healed, but they're saying that he can't be from God because he healed on the Sabbath. Now he said, if you notice in the text, it said there was a division because some people, you know, I would call those people the common sense people, they said, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. I know you're a Pharisee, you're the keeper of the law, you know more than I do, but this is pretty like one plus one equals two. Man was blind. Another man healed him, therefore he's from God. 
You say, man was blind, a man healed him on the Sabbath, therefore he's a sinner. That doesn't compute, right? And so there was a, a division between the, 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 the so-called smart people and the really smart people. There was a division there, right? And so how many really smart people do we have in here, right? We're all really smart, aren't we? We're really smart. We recognize Jesus was from God because he did the miracle, right? The sign demonstrated for them. They should have known that he was from God, but it was on the Sabbath. The hang-up for the Pharisees was that he healed on the Sabbath. So what the, why the hang-up? Why would it matter what day you would you'd heal somebody on, whether it was Sabbath or it was the Feast of Passover or, or, or the Feast of, of, of Booths or, or any of the feast days or, or, or any, any day, any holy day? Why would it matter? Well, it mattered because of what the Pharisees did to the Sabbath, what they did to the law. What they did to the law of God was that they, they blew it up, meaning they expanded it into other regulations and traditions that were man-made. And here's what they did to the Sabbath. Here's why they could not and then would not believe that Jesus was from God because he violated their rules concerning the Sabbath. Well, what was the Sabbath? We know in Genesis, right, that Jesus cre- that God created the world in six days and he did what? He rested on the seventh day. And then we see as a pattern of what God did in the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, God gives his commandments to his people and he tells them to keep the Sabbath day holy to the Lord, the seventh day. And this is why we are here today, right? This is one way in which we keep the Sabbath day holy. This is the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day. It belongs to him. So we don't work today. We rest today. And we worship the Lord today. We put him first. The first day of the week is Sunday. And we put God first in the first day of the week, the Sabbath day. Well, what did the Pharisees do to the Sabbath day? Here's what they did. And this is why they got hung up. So here's a few of the traditions that they created. The Pharisees said that a person could not knead. You know how you knead dough? They said you could not knead on the Sabbath because it was been, would have been work. And Jesus kneaded by spitting in dirt and making mud. So they said, there you go. Yeah, he broke, he broke the Sabbath. No, he, he broke your rules that, that have nothing to do with the Sabbath, right? What was another thing the Pharisees did to the Sabbath? They said you could not give medical treatment on the Sabbath unless the person was dying. And so was the man born blind dying? The text doesn't say he was dying, so Jesus broke their rules on the Sabbath. So he can't be from God because you don't break our rules. What else did they do to the Sabbath? The Pharisees said that you could not anoint or put on someone's eyes medicine on the Sabbath. And it was believed that saliva was thought to have medicinal qualities. So again, three areas in which the Pharisees would have said he's needing, he's working, he's giving life-saving, he's giving medical treatment, he's putting saliva on his eyes, he's breaking the Sabbath. And in reality, Jesus never broke any of the laws because he came to fulfill the law. He, He met the law completely and fully and perfectly. And so they he is breaking their man-made traditions about the Sabbath. And, and because of that, they cannot see what is right in front of them. Unbelief can often be camouflaged by religious activity. And what's happening in this story is that the unbelief of the heart of the Pharisees is shining through. It's shining through. And in some ways, in this section, it outshines the miracle. When you read this, this is what I see. Last week, you see the miracle. And next week, you're going to see the result of the miracle. But here in this section, the 
unbelief of the Pharisees and their inability to see beyond their traditions and their man-made regulations, it shines through and it's camouflaged, it's unbelief, it's camouflaged by all this religious activity that they have created. Is that not what we see throughout the scripture with God's people, the children of Israel? Look at, look, at, look at Numbers chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them. You see it there? I've done all these signs, but they won't believe. The Pharisees in John 9, there's a sign right in front of them, but they have unbelief in their heart. God delivered his people by many mighty signs and wonders through the exodus from Egyptian bondage, right? Look at Hebrews chapter 3, speaking to the same reality of the children of Israel. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief 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 hidden in the hearts of God's people could not enter rest eternal rest because of unbelief that was hidden hidden in their hearts unbelief will keep you from rest today unbelief will keep you from eternal rest in heaven today will you believe or will you disbelieve right will you believe or will you believe in Christ but often often unbelief can be camouflaged by religious activity They had a lot of religious activity. They added to the law to ensure they were keeping the law. But their religious activity did not reflect a heart of love for the Lord. And right in front of them was the Christ performing miracles all around them, but they refused to believe. Unbelief under the surface. Religious activity had replaced, listen, had replaced a genuine relationship. A genuine relationship. Have you ever had a genuine relationship with someone? where you knew that they loved you and you loved them. Genu- you, you, you knew who they were. You, it was genuine, a genuine relationship. Maybe you've had the opposite of something that was not genuine. It's like the friendship you had for years, and then they stabbed you in the back. You, you had a friendship like that? You, you thought you knew them. You thought you knew them. You were friends for years, and then you find out later they've been talking about you behind your back, and you're like, what in the world is going on? It it looked, they had a lot of activity on the outside that looked to be who they were, but then on the inside, they really didn't have the feelings for you that you thought you had. Maybe that can cross over into marriage. Maybe you were married to someone for years, and then you realize later, wait a minute, what I thought was true was not true. It's not, it was not genuine, Right? I know this is pretty serious, so let's give a little light moment here. What about, what about if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan here today, and, and, and you believe they're a good team, and, and you find out later today that they're nothing but imposters when the San Francisco 49ers and the rookie quarterback beat them today, right? Genuine, genuine, right? Okay, can we get past the joke? I, see. I, 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 thought, I thought this morning, I don't know if I would share that joke, but... What about us today? What about us? Let's, let's bring this home. Let's, let's move away from the Dallas Cowboys and let's talk about our heart. Do we believe or are we just religious? Do we, do we really believe or are we just religious, right? Are we just church attenders? Are we just attending to check the box, to, to get to church? Or are, are we really real? Are we like the Pharisees of John 9? We have a lot of religious activity, right? We can come to church and we can shout with the best of them. We can raise our hands and we can, we can pray our prayers. But are we really 
genuine disciples of Jesus? Do we believe in Jesus or do we just go through religious activities? It's a very probing question. What about this? Am I living my faith? Is it a personal faith or am I living a faith through someone else? Some of you here today, you may be living your faith through your spouse. You may be living a faith through your parents or through your grandparents. Well, well, well I come to this church or I went to this church because this is what my parents did and my grandparents did. And this is a, a, a faith of my ancestors. But, but there is no such thing as an ancestry uh, of faith, a faith of, of ancestry. It is, it is your faith in Jesus Christ that sends you to heaven, right? Not your parents' faith. When you stand before the Lord, when all of us stand before the Lord, the Lord does not ask us in heaven, did your parents serve the Lord or your grandparents? Oh, great, they, they, they stored up a lot of grace for you because of their faith. No, no, it, it, it's our faith. Is it genuine? And these Pharisees, they had all of the religious activities down, but the truth was staring them in the face and they would not believe. They would not believe. They would not believe. And, and really, the unbelief in the face of truth here in John 9 is really shocking. It's really shocking. And you know, when, when I read this text, it is really shocking because here's the way that we think. We think if I would be in their shoes, I wouldn't do what they did. Isn't that what we think? We think, how in the world could these Pharisees miss it? But I'm here to remind all of us here today, we all have that same capacity. It shocks us because we think we would never do it, but we do it in a million other ways in our life. Right? So, diagnosing unbelief, case study of unbelief, through the lens of the Pharisees here, unbelief can often be camouflaged by religious activities, just like these Pharisees. What, what's, what's the second thing we see when we're studying unbelief? Um, unbelief, secondly, will often ignore what is clearly known. We may camouflage unbelief by being spiritual, quote-unquote spiritual, but another thing unbelief does is, is it, it ignores what is clearly known. Let's continue in the text. John 9, picking up in verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered. This is really interesting here. We know that this is our son. Ding, 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 ding. Hello, Captain Obvious. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. And now, and how he now sees, we do not know. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, and I'll tell you why here in a second. Um, how he has received his sight, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. I don't believe that either. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Sometimes the parentheses in the Bible really give us really good clues here. Why do I not believe them? Look what it says here. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For a Jew to be put out of the synagogue, to be banished from the synagogue, was like being declared a leper that had to be living outside of the community. And so they lied here. 
They knew, they knew just as much as that was his son, that he was now healed, and they knew that it was this man named Jesus. But out of fear, they said what they did. They said, hey, don't talk to us. He's a grown man. Talk to our son. He is of age. That meant, that meant he's responsible for his own actions. And no, I, we are not going to uh, get the impact of his actions. He may confess Christ, but I, not, not us. Not us. Unbelief is powerful. It can cause you to ignore what is clearly known. They knew it. And what about these, what about these Pharisees going to the parents? The Pharisees needed no further investigation. They knew the man, and at the end of this message, we're going to see that they knew. It's going to be confirmed that they knew everything that they needed to know. And on this front end, we must, I have to stop and say this, they didn't need any further investigation. They didn't even talk to the parents. They didn't talk to the blind, the former blind man. Again, as we're going to see, they knew he was born blind. They knew he was blind. They knew he was healed, and they knew who did it. Unbelief, however, unbelief, however, will ignore what is already known. They're saying, even though we have all this evidence, we're going to keep investigating. We're going to act like we need to investigate, ignoring reality. The text clearly says that they answered the way they did. These parents answered the way they did because of what they knew could happen to them. A little side note here. Fear and self-preservation will cause people to deny what they know is true. Fear and self-preservation will cause people to deny what they know is true. The Pharisees really, they don't need, as I said, they don't need any more information here. Their unbelief and hatred of Jesus is shining through in this moment. This is what you see. Their unbelief and their hatred of Jesus is shining through. So much so that they are willing to ignore what is clearly right in front of them. They're willing to ignore it. And as human beings... We are just like the Pharisees. Again, we, we, we get shocked by this, but, but we do the same thing as humans, don't we? We have a tendency to ignore realities when, they, when, when we don't like the implications. We have a tendency to ignore things that are obviously true when we don't like the implications of those truths. We will ignore things when we don't like what they tell us. Where else do we see this in Scripture? I think of two places, one Old Testament, one New Testament. When we see what is obviously true and we see the tendency of humanity to ignore what is obviously true because it's not convenient or because I don't like it or because of what it, 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 it brings upon my life, the responsibility it brings to me, right? What is obviously true and what we do to truth as humans. Two places, Psalms 19, here's the first one, verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Wow, isn't that beautiful? What does the creation do? The creation of God is speaking. Psalms 19 tells us the creation of God is speaking. Night after night, day after day, the creation that God has made is pouring forth speech. And it's declaring something. What is the obvious truth that is being declared through creation? The obvious truth is, is this, that God is real. And that there's a creator. And that our lives have meaning. That's what creation itself is declaring. That God is real. And that our life has meaning and purpose because we come from a creator. The creation itself is boldly declaring that all that we see is not the result of a divine accident. I mean, that is something that is the most obvious truth, just like 
these Pharisees seeing the man that was born blind healed and the man that healed him, and they should have put two and two together and said, healed man, man who healed, this man's from God. Just as we should, when we see creation, we should not look at the world around us, the creation, the universe, the galaxies, the billions of stars, the earth properly tilted on its axis to where we have the perfect environment to survive human life. We should not look at all of this around us and say, this happened billions and billions of years ago as a result of a big bang and it's just random chance that got us to where we are today. We should never say that, just as much as we should never look at our car engine and say that all of a sudden there was an implosion that took place and all the different parts of that engine came together and now I put my key in and I hit the push to start and we're, we can drive the car. Just as you'd be a fool to ever say that. The Bible says that you're a fool. We're fools if we say that there is no God. Creation declares it. I love, uh, there's a, a Nobel Prize winning scientist who discovered, co-discovered the cosmic microwave background radiation. I don't know what that is, but he got a Nobel Peace Prize for it and a million dollars, which means he's a smart man. This is what he says. The best data we have are exactly what I would have, predict, would have predicted. Had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing and delicately balanced to provide exactly the conditions required to support life. In the absence of an absurdly improbable accident, the observations of modern science seem to suggest an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Right? But unbelief will often ignore what is clearly known. So, so, right? So, creation is declaring, is speaking loudly. What do we do as man? Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, who, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Creation is declaring, but we suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. Amen? So we have a high capacity to ignore. What, so, so, so if creation is declaring that there is a God, then the, the, the implications of that are that we are accountable to that creator. If I am the result of a creator, that means I am accountable to that creator. That means my life needs to be lived in subjection to his will and to his plan. But that's why men reject it, because they don't want the implications of the reality. And this is why the Pharisees in John 9 are rejecting the miracle in Jesus, because if they believe in Jesus, then the whole system that they have built comes crashing down, and they don't like the implications. Unbelief. Unbelief has a high capacity to ignore reality and what we really know is true. What we know is true because we do not want to believe it. We do not want to believe it. Unbelief will ignore what is clearly known. What is clearly known. What about that, what about that family member that every Thanksgiving or Christmas, they bring that dish. They bring that dish. And it's clearly known that nobody likes it. And you drop hints all the time. But they have a high capacity to ignore the truth 
And every year, oh, Aunt Susie is bringing that potato dish that has no salt, is flavorless, but she loves it, right? It's the way she expresses her love. But she's ignoring the reality. And we do the same thing. So here's my question. How does this apply to us today? Has God been trying to get your attention, but you're ignoring him? Maybe you're here today, and God's been trying to get your attention today, but you've been ignoring him. Creation's been declaring to you that there is a God, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ have been declaring to you there is a Savior. But you've been ignoring, your conscience has been, been informing you that the way you've been living is not right, but you've been ignoring God. Have you been ignoring God today? Has God been trying to get your attention, but you're ignoring him? Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been trying to ignore the reality of God or the reality of your sin Today, the call is to see Christ for who he is and see your true condition apart from him. The truth is, is there is no need to continue to ignore what God has done for you in Christ. There's no need to continue to ignore it. Don't stay in unbelief. Don't stay in unbelief. The reality of Christ and his work for you on the cross, it has changed human history. It's why we are here today. And if you're here today, you didn't just get here by happenstance. There are no accidents in God. You are here today to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God is holy and God is love. God is holy and man is sinful. And because of his great love, the love of this holy God, he sent his only son to die on the cross for my sin and for your sin so that we can be forgiven through faith. Don't ignore it anymore. Don't stay in unbelief. There's no need to continue to ignore what God has done for you in Christ. So let's recap. What have we learned so far in our case study of unbelief through the lens of the Pharisees in John 9? Well, well unbelief can often be camouflaged by religious activity. They were obeying the Sabbath. It was their version of the Sabbath, but they were rejecting God's work as it was staring them in the face. They looked holy, but they weren't. Unbelief, secondly, will often ignore what is clearly known. We have a big capacity to deceive ourselves, to ignore what God has clearly revealed to us. And, and lastly, thirdly, this morning, unbelief is the path that leads to a hard heart. Unbelief is the path that leads to a hard heart. This is the tragedy of unbelief. Look back to the text, John 9, verse 24. So for the second time, they talk to the man born blind. They know he was healed, and they know who did it. They go to his parents, and his parents say, I don't talk to us. We don't want to talk to you. We're not going to tell you the truth because we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. So they say, okay, let's go back to the man. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered the man that was the former blind man. He said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The former blind man answered them, I have told you already. Would, you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I just love, I mean, this is sarcasm right here. This is sar I love the sarcasm in the Bible. And they reviled him. How do I know it was sarcasm? Because they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
So what we see here is a downward spiral of the Pharisees. We see in the beginning, they're hiding their, their unbelief under the guise of he didn't keep the Sabbath, he didn't keep the Sabbath, and they're ignoring what they already know, but now it's a downward spiral. This, this, we're going to see it unfold here as we go through the rest of this text. They, it's this downward spiral of, uh, in this conversation, and, and their unbelief is really going to come to the surface here. But notice what they said. They said to, to the man born blind, they said, give glory to God. Give glory to God. What, 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 what are they getting at? I think what they're getting at, it's an illusion, it's a reference to numbers, to, to excuse me, Joshua chapter 7. Whenever uh, Israel uh, had won a, a victory in battle and the Lord had commanded that they would not keep any of the spoils of the victory and, and, and a man named Achan took some of the spoils and hid it in his tent and there was curses on the people and they kept losing battles and, and everyone's crying out to God and God tells Joshua, you got sin in the camp. So Joshua goes to the tent of Achan, Joshua 7, 9. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Do you see the connection there? This is what the Pharisees are saying to the man that was blind. They're saying, give glory to God. In essence, they're saying, tell us the truth. Achan, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. Give glory to God. Telling the truth gives glory to God. Lying does not give glory to God. Man born blind, give glory to God. Tell us the truth. What does the man say, the man that, was, that used to be blind? He says, hey, whether he's a sinner, I don't know, but here's the truth, the God honest truth. I was blind, but now I'm not. That's all you need to know. I was blind, but now I'm not. Tell us the truth. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I don't know, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And what's interesting is, is that the man cannot understand why the Pharisees will not believe him. Look, look back to the text. We'll continue the story. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. And I think it really is an amazing thing. He tells the Pharisees, you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. What is he saying there? He's saying, he's saying you're a bunch of idiots. That's what he's saying. You're really stupid. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. That's the S word. My, so... In our house is S word, but they're, they're really ignorant here. They're ignorant. I mean, they're foolish. How do you not know where he comes from? How can he be a sinner? He opened my eyes. God heard him and he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And listen to what they say. Listen to what he says. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And that's true. Never since all of the Old Testament, you go through all of the Old Testament, there's, never, there's not an account of any man being healed or woman being healed that was born blind. This is the first account. And so in their mind, never since the beginning of the world, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So in essence, what he's telling him is, is are you serious? Are you actually confused about where he comes from? It's irrational. The irrational belief of the Pharisees is shining through. It's shining through, and now the irrational belief turns to hate-filled words. Look back at the text, verse 34. So, so the, the, the man born blind tells them, hey, you, you're back here to talk to me because you want to be his disciple? You want to hear my story so you can follow him too? Right? And I say, no, we follow Moses. We don't follow Jesus. He says, I don't get it. I'm confused. Why don't you see it? And now 
the belief is going to turn, the, the unbelief is going to rear its ugly head and it's going to show itself in hateful words. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. What the parents feared would happen to them happened to their son. And they cast him out of the synagogue, cast him out of the temple. But notice what verse 34 says. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And in their hatred, the truth comes out. They knew it all along. You remember last week, what was the traditions of the rabbis? That if somebody was born blind, it was because of their sin. Their hatred reveals what they knew all along when they spewed out their hatred towards this man. They said, you can't teach us. Are you going to teach us? Right? We follow Moses. You were born in utter sin. They are revealing what they knew all along. That they believed that this man was a sinner because he was born blind. They knew the whole time who he was. That he was born blind. That he was a beggar. And that he was healed and that Jesus did it. But because they refused to give glory to Christ, to call him the Christ, the Messiah. Because they refused to honor God and what God did clearly through Jesus. They ignored it the whole time. And finally overflowing out of their hatred towards Christ and towards this man. They say, you are an utter sinner. We, we know it. The Pharisees reveal they understood all along. They were simply, listen. They were simply unwilling to believe. Unwilling to believe. They were unwilling. They were not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Unbelief is the path that leads to a hard heart. What you see here is a hard heart. And it is that hard heart that crucified our Savior. It is that hard heart that whenever Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? A known criminal a known criminal, and a known innocent man. And they, they rejected what was clearly known about Jesus, and they ignored what was clearly known about Barabbas. And they said, we'll take Barabbas over Jesus. Release a murderer and crucify an innocent man. That is the reflection of a heart that is hard. Unbelief is the path that leads to a hard heart. You begin to ignore reality. You ignore what is right in front of you. You ignore God calling you. You ignore, you ignore, you ignore. And it's layer upon layer of hardness and hardness. And eventually you spew out hatred and anger. You see it in our culture today, don't you? Right? It's interesting. Jesus speaks of this a little bit uh, when he talks to his disciples. Um, uh, Jesus would speak in parables often. His disciples asked him one day, why do you speak in these riddles, these parables? Why don't you just get to the point, Jesus? Jesus tells them why in Matthew 13, starting at verse 13 through 15, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. Willful rejection of the truth. Eyes but can't see. Ears but can't hear. Rejection of the only source of true life. Unbelief and rejection of Jesus 
is what we see ultimately at the end. Unbelief is a path that leads to a hard heart. And we see it, don't we, all over the world. Maybe, 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 maybe you see it with somebody that's, that's right next to you uh, on your job. Maybe you work with somebody like that. They're, they're cynical. They're hard-hearted. Maybe, maybe you, you watch some YouTube videos and you, and you listen to these people that are, are, are hard-hearted and, and angry towards God and they're cynical and they make fun of religious people and, and you see it in some of the late-night talk show hosts and, and you just see it all over our culture, a hatred, a hard-heartedness. They're ignoring creation as God is declaring that He's real and they're ignoring the revelation of Scripture that Christ is a Savior and it's layer upon layer of hardness of heart, and it's a tragedy, the tragedy of unbelief, cynical hearts and mocking hearts. John 9 shows us the nature of unbelief through the, through the lives of these Pharisees. But let's end this morning. As we conclude, let's end where we started with Thomas in John 20. Do you remember what Thomas said as we started? Unless I see, I will never believe. Let's go back to John 20. Let's end where we started. John 20, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas. I just have to say this real quick. A little side note here. I love this about Jesus. He walked through the wall for Thomas. He said, I'm coming for the doubter. I'm coming for the man who has to see. As we talked about last week, God's okay with our questions and our, and our doubts. He, he comes for us. Look, he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in, in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He said, I believe now. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Amen? Believing is seeing here today. Is it not for you? Believing is seeing. Some of you say, well, I can't believe Christ raised from the dead. Talk to some of your brothers and sisters sitting right next to you. Talk to them and, and find out how much they believe. See what Christ has done in their life. Believing is seeing. When you believe Jesus is God, he was raised from the dead, you finally begin to see the world correctly. The light comes on. So the question as we close today is, is do you believe today? Do you believe today? Now I want to say this. The only reason any of us believe today is because Jesus walked through the locked doors of our heart and said, do not disbelieve, but believe. It's the only reason any of us are here today is because Jesus walked through the walls like he did for Thomas. He walked through the locked doors of our heart, and he said, don't disbelieve, but believe in me. Jesus did that for everyone who believes. So the question is, is, is are you going to believe? Jesus is ready. To, he's here. He's declaring through his word that he is alive, that he is real, that he died for you. And the only reason any of us love Jesus today is because he first loved us. He loves you today. He first loved you in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So what I want us to do here today is, is I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to give an opportunity for those who, who, who want to believe today. 
And you want to pray with somebody today about that belief. And you want to confess Christ. You're tired of ignoring the reality of God and his son Jesus. But I, I want to challenge all of us today. I want you to think of somebody in your life that has a hard heart. Think of somebody. Just take a moment. Think of somebody who has a hard heart towards God. And they, and they don't want anything to do with God. And you think, I, 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 I don't know how it's possible that God can break through the, the locked doors of their heart. Think about them. And now begin to pray for them every day. Begin to pray for them every day. Begin to lift them up before the Lord. Begin to, to, begin to pray for their salvation. Begin to pray that the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ will shine through your life and that God will send you or God will send other people in their life to preach the gospel and that the light will come on. Begin to pray for them. Don't give up on them. But pray for them. That God would save them. That God would save them. So would you stand to your feet this morning and we're going to close in prayer. And I just want to say this. If you're here today and, and you want to respond to anything in this message, you need prayer about anything based upon the preaching of the word. When we're singing, we'll be down here. We can pray for you. But if you're here today and, and you want to confess Jesus, you want to respond to Jesus by faith. You want to confess with your mouth and believe. You believe in your heart and you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. He was raised from the dead so you can be justified. If you want to confess that, we'll be down here. You can pray with us. Or, or maybe there's, a, there's that connect card for all of you on the bottom rows. On the top rows, you can't get saved today. No, I'm just joking. But uh, you can get a connect card. But those are in front of you in, in, the, in, the, in the floor section. If you're up top, you can get a connect card from the walls or from the other chairs, from the welcome desk. You fill that out. And you put it in the offering box and you say, I want somebody to contact me about faith in Christ. You can make that decision today. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And if you need prayer, we'll be down front. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what your word shows us. Lord, this is a, this is a tragic message, a tragic story of what we see whenever people ignore the obvious truth of your reality. And I, God, I pray that none of us would be like the Pharisees. Lord, help us to not camouflage anything through religious activities. Lord, may we have a white-hot love for you, genuine love for you. And God, I pray that there's anybody here today that needs to begin their relationship with God today. I pray, God, that they would fill out that card, that they would come receive prayer, that they would Confess Jesus as Lord today. Repent and believe. And I pray also that you would help us to pray for those who don't know you. To lift up those who we think are the hardest of hearts. And Lord, and let us watch what you'll do. And let us give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.